0: thank you, O Lord, for the opportunity to stand in this pulpit and declare your word. Your word is holy. Your word is eternal. Your word is alive. It's quick. It's sharp. And I thank you, O Lord, for the work of the word of God in our lives. And May your word come alive to us this morning. And may your word heal, O Lord, people that need healing. You said in Psalm 14 that You sent your word and you healed the people. You said in your word that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass. I thank you for the eternal nature of the word of God that will not change. Its promises are true today as it was when they were written by men inspired by the Holy Spirit millennia ago. I ask you to touch this unworthy servant, And may I truly be a channel through which you flow this morning that the people of God may be blessed. For if you don't touch me, I cannot preach. If you don't touch me and enable me, I cannot be used to bless these people this morning. Touch me, O God, and minister through me and help me to remember the things that we have studied and discussed in private that we can preach it public. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Everybody said amen. Amen. Second Samuel chapter 5 is the story about one of the main characters of the Old Testament. When we talk about the Old Testament characters, there's none like the prophet Moses. Moses was the great pastor, the shepherd of God's people. God somehow has a warm affinity for shepherds. In fact, David even wrote the psalm and said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Shepherding and the will of God is almost synonymous. Those words go so closely together that leadership in God's kingdom work are shepherd like. The men and the women that God employs in the service of the Lord are more like shepherds, they're more like people who tend and watch for and care and minister to sheep. Amen. In another sense, we're told that we are like sheep gone astray, that we are like sheep not having a shepherd. We are like sheep that are scattered and need a shepherd. Without a shepherd, sheep will surely perish. Therefore, the Bible tells us God, when he talked about his His Prophets in olden times, he said, "My shepherds have no heart for shepherding; they are hired men and they're hirelings, and they flee when the enemy uh, comes. They won't take a stand against uh, the enemy." And God judged those shepherds, those shepherds that were not true shepherds. But God has given us people who are shepherds among us that that shepherd the sheep. Amen. And we need those people. We need a a, a pastor. Did you know the same Greek word for pastor is the Greek word for shepherd? Same word. So what you must have in a pastor is a shepherd. A shepherd that will feed you. A shepherd that will guide you. A shepherd that will uh, lead you and uh, spiritually become the figure that you need in your life to have someone to care and someone to faithfully proclaim the Word of God to you. Amen. That's an important thing. You need a a shepherd, pastor like Moses, a prophet like Moses. You also need a priest like Melchizedek. Amen. The Bible said that Jesus would be a prophet like Moses. He will be a priest like Melchizedek. And he will be a king like David. Like David. Well, you know, David was not the first king of Israel. So many times when we ask uh, Bible questions, we ask, who is who is the first king of Israel? And most of the time people yell out, David, because he probably is the favorite and most revered and most remembered, but he's not the first. The first king of Israel is Saul. And Saul was, the Bible said, a physical specimen for uh, the job in fact the Bible said he stood head and shoulders above any other man in Israel now that's quite a designation isn't it amen to be the tallest man in the in the country in all of Israel Saul was head and shoulders above every other man in Israel and he was God's choice and in the beginning he started out uh, real good and uh, but then he digressed and he, Well, he made some terrible mistakes and made some bad decisions that caused him to get into ill favor with God. And the Bible said God rejected him and God dismissed him. Now, I heard a fellow preach one time, don't let God lay you off. That's a pretty good sermon too. Amen. Don't let God lay you off, but God rejected him. And the Bible said that Samuel mourned and grieved over Saul. He just could not believe that a a king, an anointed person was uh, so bad and so out of step with God. And God spoke to Samuel and he said, Samuel, how long wilt thou mourn over Saul? How long are you going to keep this up? How long are you going to keep on grieving? And how long are you going to keep on mourning? Because Saul has not done what his purpose and his destiny was. We all hurt when people don't fulfill their destiny. We all have a loss when people don't come to their full fruition of their talent and their gifting. It's God's will that you be a grown-up, mature person, that you grow up in your calling, that you grow up in your, in your gifting and in your talenting, that you, well, what is it the army says? Be all you can be. Well, God wants you to be all you can be also. God wants you to be the person that he destined And he ordained for you to be. For every one of us in this house, there's a purpose. Amen. Hey, if we were handing out grades today, what grade would you give yourself on how you're doing with your purpose? Some are sitting here today that are wrestling with a call of God on your life. We've had conversations and how do you know when you're called of God and how do you know when God's got a purpose for you how do you know when God wants you to do something how do you how do you come to that that knowledge that God is uh, working through you to perform something important to his will and his destiny for his church and for his people how do you know those things well spiritual people have to discern spiritual things and you have to seek the lord when god starts dealing with you in order to understand your call and understand that, that the lord has a purpose and a plan for you and every one of us in this house god has a plan for you he knew you before you were ever the bible said when thou wast just substance in the womb god knew you in fact one writer said before you were shapened in your mother's womb god knew you and god ordained in Jeremiah's situation, he told Jeremiah, he said, before you were conceived in your mother's womb, I knew you. You mean God knows us before we're us? You mean God knows me? Well, I'm just a, a, a number of a face in the crowd. How could God know all about me? And greater still, how could he have a purpose for me? What does he want me to do? Well, if you'll research that, you'll find some scripture that reads like, o, o man, what doth the Lord require of thee? And if you'll look up those scriptures, and I'll let you look them up because they're not pertinent to my message there right now. O Lord, what doth the Lord require of thee? What doth the Lord expect me to do? But to do justly, and it gives a catalog of things there that people, that all people are required. Amen. You might call it GI. It's just general information for everybody. But then the Lord goes beyond that and he has something else for you. A a, a prophet like Moses, a priest like Melchizedek, a king like David. Well, you would think that that would mean that David was way up the spiritual ladder. But if you examine his life, even though Samuel called him a man after God's own heart... He struggled and wrestled with a lot of things. And all of his problems weren't solved just by one going to the temple and offering a sacrifice. Sometimes there was terrible compensation for his sin and his wrongdoing. Sometimes he had to really go through difficult times because he was so stubborn that he couldn't learn the lesson. He sang a good song. He would really impress you with his songs. Of course there's hundred of them or more of the psalms. Boy, how do you get that much ink in God's book? Wow, that he had so much to say to us. There are praise and worship songs. There are, there are prayers, there are all kind of psalms. What's your favorite one? Someone said 91 was their favorite psalm. It's about deliverance and about the Lord being, being your, your answer to every problem in your life and the greatest thing that could happen to you. Who, who, who said 23rd? 23rd is a shepherd and you won't want, and you he makes you lie down in green pastures and he pours oil on your head and puts a table before you, in the presence of the enemy, and you come out of that situation saying, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a great psalm. We all could quote some of the Psalms because they're the most quotable. But the man behind the writing is the person that is a study in sometimes something bad and sometimes something good. Amen. He's like the Apostle Peter. Sometimes you want to just stand up and cheer for him. Other times you want to just say, oh, are you kidding me? And I found out in pastoring people, we're just like that. We're just like that. There's some things you'd find in us you'd be really proud to know. and There's some things you'd find in us that you wouldn't be so proud to know. And everybody's got that situation going on in their heart. That's called being a human being. David has now been anointed. He was anointed when he was 17 years old. In fact, they had three anointings. The first one was when Jesse uh, announced uh, to him, come to the house, son. The prophet is coming, and uh, he's going to do something pretty important at our house because the Lord has spoken to Samuel and said, go to Jesse's house and anoint one of his sons as king of Israel. Well, it wasn't long before David was called in from the field in fact they went through all the sons i think the first one's name is eliam the second one is uh, Benadab. i think the third one's name is shamma and and on it goes through the whole eleven of them and they had gone through them and and I, i i get amazed sometimes and amused also at the way the holy spirit says things don't you because when one of the sons came around i think it was the third son abinadab when he walked around the the bible said the Lord spoke to Samuel and said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. He could have said him (laughs) or called his name, neither hath the Lord chosen Abinadab. But the Lord said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. And they went through the whole thing and the, the whole, all the sons. And he turned to David or rather turned to Jesse and said, have you got another son? He said, yeah, there's one more, but said he's out in the field watching the sheep. Isn't it amazing that the people who were hanging around the house looking for a promotion were not God's choice, but the one that was in the field doing the work was the one God chose. And they said, well, fetch him. I love it when the word uses country terms, don't you? Go fetch him. And the Bible said they went and got David. And when they found him, they, they told him, said, Come to the house. The man of God is there. And said, He's anointing a new king. And David made this statement very famous. He hath taken me from among the sheep coat and hath made me a king. Wow, that God would take a shepherd and make him king. What qualities would you think God was looking for? God was probably looking for the heart of a shepherd to shepherd his people. That rather have a ruler over them that would be dominant and arrogant and and prideful, the Lord said, I'd rather have a a shepherd. I'd rather find a man that cares about people. I'd rather find a a man that is involved in, in the betterment and the help and the blessing to people. And said, I'd like to have a shepherd to be the king. Well, David soon caught on, and very soon his, his songs went up the charts. And boy, he got some good, good reviews about uh, singing. And in fact, the Bible said he had such a, a, a way about him that when he sang, it would soothe the nervousness and the stress and relieve the anxiety of Saul. Thank you. Didn't get, can't get another in the house. Wake up over there, Don. You go. Don't, don't you let W.H. outdo you now? Can you believe that he became so good at it that he, when he would sing, Saul would calm down. Saul was given these nervous, anxious fits. You know, I know people like that. Do you know people like that? They're so so fidgety and they're so so anxious and they're they're so. Uh, motivated you know they just can't relax Debbie says when she gets that do you believe she has actually got a a CD of waves rolling up on the beach and she listens to that and she says it calms her down I said well Lord you need to find out where there's a hurricane going on somewhere (laughs) amen waves are coming in fast and big I, w- I wish waves did that to me. I'm not a beach person. Lord Debbie is. I can take her out there, and if I carry her chest out there with, with the drinks in it and the, with the ice, and I put up her tent, and I, I carry her comforter and all that stuff to lay on the ground, and I say, now, have you got everything you need? I think so. And I said, well, I'll see you later. want to go somewhere else I'll be back about four or five o'clock and did you know that girl will sit there and she she'll do that all day long never gets tired brother I hate that hot sand I despise that stuff trying to walk on that hot sand barefoot I'm that don't comfort me at all let me get off of that anyways David singing really impressed Saul and Saul said hey come on over here to my house because I have these anxious fits all the time, and you need to be close by so you can sing and pluck on your harp and make that music and I'll feel better. Well, that that worked good until he observed that when the people of God went out, David led them. And when they came back in, David led them. David was leading the people, and the people were, were anxiously following after david they loved his singing too they loved everything about the psalms that he wrote and all the the poetry and all of the literature all of the things that he did they they loved it too and the people were embracing david and saul became very angry and jealousy is as cruel as the grave and it wasn't long before saul sought the life of david And David had so much respect for the anointing. There was a time when David found a cave that Saul was in. And he went over and he took a scissors or a knife, it was and cut a piece off of Saul's garment to prove to him, I could have killed you if I wanted to. But the Bible said he had respect for the anointing of Saul. What David realized is God will never anoint you to tear down another man who is anointed. That deserves one of these. People that feel like they're anointed to tear somebody down, that's wrong that's witchcraft i said the bible said that's worse than witchcraft god will never anoint you to tear down an anointed one god takes care of that tearing down and putting up business it's god that gives promotion it's god that gives the layoff it's god that puts people in leadership it's god that takes them out are you hearing what i'm saying He doesn't need you. He doesn't need anybody. And anyone says, I heard of a guy the other day praying that uh, he had prayed a man's wife away from him so he could have her. And then he says he's anointed. No, he's not anointed. That's witchcraft. Hey, that's voodoo. As my friend would say, that's a bunch of junk. That's what that is. God doesn't anoint anybody to tear down. God doesn't anoint anybody to harm and to hurt and to ruin and that kind of thing. And so we find David here in in Judah and we find him holed up in Hebron. You know what Hebron is? Hebron is one of the seven cities of refuge. Can you say that? Cities of refuge. And Hebron was one of them. Now, what does a city of refuge mean? It means that as long as you are inside the gates of any city of refuge, that no violence, no crime, no nothing can be done violent or sin or evil or wicked. None of that can be done inside the gates of a city of refuge. So David is, is holed up in, in Judah, in Hebron. And the, we, we pick up the narrative here in 2 Samuel. Well, I did all that just to get to the text. How about that? 2 Samuel chapter 5 verse 1 through 10. Then came all of the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron and spake saying, We are thy bone and thy flesh. In other words, the battle had been fought. Saul had been killed. The terrible things had, had all gone away. And it was, they were seeking for a time of peace. They were seeking for a time of, of unity. Now, Saul had uh, two sons. One of them was Mephibosheth and the other one was Ishbosheth. How about that? Now when it comes to pronouncing biblical names, you just have to kind of break it down. Ish-bosheth and Mephibosheth. And in an earlier chapter, the sermon you've heard me preach about the grace of God, a picture of God's grace, it's about Mephibosheth because Mephibosheth, the Bible said, was carried by his maid, and when the army and the war was getting close, she had to run. And when she ran with him, she dropped Mephibosheth and broke a bone in his hip, and he was kind of handicapped from then on. He had a fall, and he was wounded by a fall and permanently affected by a fall. Now, that's all of us. It's indicative of all of us, right? Right. Amen. Because we were damaged by a fall. It was a garden, and we had parents that, you you get the picture. So Mephibosheth got over in a place called Lodabar, and the Bible said that's a wilderness, and it's a a place of estrangement from God. And David is made, made king. And David now says, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that we may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And they said, yes, said he's got a son. His name is Mephibosheth, and he's lame on his feet, and he's over in, in Lodabar, and in the plain of Lodabar. So David got the servant, and he said to the servant who is representative of the Holy Spirit, he said, go to Lodabar and find Ishbosheth, and tell him and bring him back and tell him that when he gets back, We're going to treat him just like one of the family. He shall eat at the king's table forever. In other words, he found fellowship. Tell him also that when he comes back, he'll find family because we're going to take him in and treat him like a brother. Well, you ought to shout at this because this is you getting all this. He says to him, also tell him when he gets back, he's not only going to find fellowship and he's going to find friendship and he's going to find family, but he's going to find fortune because everything Saul has got, we're going to give it to Ishbosheth. So, for every one of you out here that have come home from Lodabar, God has fellowship. He has family, he has friendship, and he has fortune. I thought they'd get it maybe in a minute. Boy, they're slow today. Too much turkey. Too much turkey. Well, here David is praying. Then came all the writers. Next verse, put it up there for me. they, They tell him, say, you're just like us. We're all Jewish people. We all love god also in time past when saul was king over us thou wast he that led us in and took us out in israel and the lord said to thee thou shalt feed my people israel and thou shalt be a captain over them you're going to be a ruler over them next verse so all the elders all the elders of israel came to the king to hebron and king david made a league with them in hebron before the lord and they anointed David king over Israel. Well, wait a minute. He just al- He's already been anointed. Why are we anointing him again? He was anointed when he was 70, and now what we learn here now, he's, he'll tell you next verse, he's 30, 30 and a half years old now. So he was anointed king. Let's work on this. Anybody do some math for me? Let's... A 17-year-old boy comes in, and when he walks in before Samuel that time, the Holy Spirit said to Samuel, Arise and anoint, for this is he. So Samuel anointed him with a hen of oil, a H-I-N. A hen is a container. It holds a gallon and a half. In that anointing oil, there is calamus, Cinnamon, cassia, and myrrh. So you can smell it from a long way off. When somebody got anointed, all you had to do is sniff sniff a little bit and you knew something's happened in God's house because somebody just got anointed. That calamus will smell the place up. Cinnamon and myrrh and cassia, all are fragrances that just fill the whole house can you imagine walking in here one day and you but wow boy the anointing of God is in this place boy don't you feel the anointing of God in this house one time the Bible said when they got to the house of God and they assembled there they were all standing outside and couldn't go in the Bible said the anointing was so powerful in the building that they couldn't get in I wish to God I'd pull up here on these grounds some Sunday and find y'all all standing out in the parking lot. Chad, Jerry, why aren't you in your place? Can't get in the building, Pastor. Joel, Sherry, why aren't you out in, 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 in church? Can't get in the door. Come on, somebody. Tina, why aren't you up there in your seat? I can't get in the house. Well, what's the matter? I don't see any bars up there. What's keeping you out? Oh, there's a presence in there. There's a power in there. There's an anointing in there. There's something going on in that house in there. Glory to God. I would would to God you do that again, God. I would to God you would do that again. I would to God you would drop balls of fire down in this building right here, right over our heads and explode balls of fire and let us know the power of God that our weapons are not carnal, our weapons are not mediocre, and they're not anemic, but the weapons we have are mighty and they'll tear down strongholds. <laughs> Praise God. David had been anointed when he was 17. He's now almost 31 And he finally gets anointed. Finally, the people accept him. Up until now, he's just been living on a promise. Up until now, he's just been told, one day you'll sit on the throne. We're going to anoint you now. We're going to pour the oil on you. We're going to anoint you now, but it's going to be a while before you sit on the throne. Have you ever had a promise that God made you? and it took 17 years but the promise finally come true it took 17 years of fighting bears and fighting lions boy you're not getting this i'm afraid it took 17 years of maturing and learning how to be a warrior and learning how to fight and learning how to how to be the person god calls you and anointed you to be god's taking you somewhere God's going to get you to a place where the promise is going to come into your life. God's going to get you to a place that you're going to realize your purpose and realize the plan God has for you. It may be a few years in your future and you may have to learn a lot of things till you get there, but one day you'll get there by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit if you'll just stay in the race. Glory to God. David was 30 years old when he began to reign I wonder what he did all those 17 years well One fight he had was with a lion you remember that one And the Bible said that David slew that lion when that lion came and broke into his stronghold and Stole one of his lambs. And the Bible said that he chased that lion down. Ran after him and chased him down. Took him by his beard and shook him until the lion turned the lamb loose. You mean it didn't hurt the lamb? The lamb? no to be a ruler and to be a king that is also a shepherd you learn how to fight the battle without damaging the lamb you learn how to be a king but in learning how to be a king and fighting battles you don't injure and hurt the very thing that you're fighting to rescue and deliver. And then the Bible said there's a trophy for, for fighting lions. That trophy is you get to fight bears. He said, I remember the time when a lion came and I, I shook him. I ran after him and shook him until he turned my lamb loose and I got my lamb and took my lamb back in. There was another time when there was a bear. And a bear came and stole one of my cubs. And I slew that bear with my own hands. I slew that bear. So the trophy for killing a lion is a bear. And the trophy for killing a bear is a giant named Goliath. I wonder why it took 17 years for him to learn how to kill giants I mean he's 17 31 14 years Wow to learn how to kill I guess his aim was bad with the rock I guess the slingshot was good but he just didn't have it just exactly right to where you could fight a giant with it. And God waited until he could could develop and get good enough with the weapon in his hand that God could use him to slay a destroyer of his people. And as David looked out there and saw the giant, the giant said, I'm insulted that you would send a runt like this, out here to fight a man of war like me? See, sometimes you've got to endure the insults and the snide remarks of the naysayers in order to be what God wants you to be and do what God wants you to do. Let's read a little bit more. Next verse, please. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 30 and three years over all of Israel. That's over 40 years, isn't it? God will always reward you with more than you spend in time waiting. He waited 14 years. He ruled 40. could you title this sermon worth the Wait"? that god is worth the weight yeah. let me hurry you're getting sleepy i'll have to let you go in a minute in rebron he reigned three years next verse and the king and his men went to jerusalem unto the jebusites the inhabitants of the land uh-oh God speaks to ask them to do something that's going to require a leader that's got stamina, that's willing to tear down a stronghold. The inhabitants of the land. Well, what are they still doing in the land? Joshua fought them when he got to Jericho. They survived Joshua. Now, brother, when you survived Joshua, the captain of the Lord's army, and and you, you make it through that and you're still surviving, in fact, there were 52 plagues that have this planet that killed and wiped out whole tribes of people 52 of them and the Jebusites are still here Jebusites are still here all kind of things have happened and all things are going on but the Jebusite let me tell you why the Jebusites have survived if you ever go to Israel with me I'll take you to what they call the water tunnels Jerusalem is a city that is set on a hill. Jerusalem is a city that cannot be hid. Everything is up to Jerusalem. Jericho is the lowest point on the planet. It's where the Dead Sea is. And you go up to Jerusalem. The road to Jerusalem is always up. And the Jebusites inhabited the city of David which is right next to Jerusalem. In fact, the water channels go through. I led some of you, you went with me, I think you went with me through the water tunnels through where they came in, Through the Jebusites were defeated by David, and they had to get in the water spouts and the water channels that were dug and put there. In other words, the Jebusites had survived by occupying the highest ground. They fought their battle, From the high point that's a military strategy ask any soldier and they'll tell you that you are very much advantaged by being above your enemy and fighting down at them and the Jebusites had survived and they had plenty of water because they had aqueducts that fed the city water so that Jerusalem could could never be defeated by not having water all this military strategy going on here and the jebusites are still here and david gets over and they go to the jebusites the inhabitants of the land which spake to david tough when your enemy starts talking to you now huh and they spoke to david saying except thou take away the blind and the lame thou shalt not come in thither thinking david cannot come in what they were saying was we can get folks out of the nursing home that, you, that could beat you. We got folks in heel, wheelchairs and on crutches that can beat you. You think we're scared of you? We can go down and get the people out of the nursing home and they can whip you. Don't you love sarcasm? Don't you love it when the devil sets off in the corner and sniggers and spreads his rumors, tells his lies, we don't even have to fight. We can get the nursing home, folks, to come down here and beat you. Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in, thinking, thinking that David cannot come in. Next verse. You ready to shout? Nevertheless. Have you got another? nevertheless in your transmission? I said, have you got a nevertheless in your transmission? Nevertheless, David took the stronghold. They made fun of him. They laughed at him. They said, our folks on wheelchairs and canes can equip your army. Made all kind of fun, did all kind of sarcasm, but the bottom line, nevertheless, David took the stronghold. Hallelujah! Hey, folks may laugh at you and mock you. Say, do you still believe the promise of God? Do you still hold your integrity with God? Do you still believe God's got a purpose and a plan for you? Do you still hold on to that stuff? Nevertheless, David took the stronghold. The same as the city of David. Next verse. And David said on that day, Whosoever getteth up to the gutter smiteth the Jebusites and the lame and the blind and the, and the hated of David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Wherefore, they said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. We don't need them to help fight our battles for us. So David dwelt in the fort and called it the city of David, and David built round about from Milo and inward. You see, when David defeated Goliath Saul made him a promise come on Olivia wherever you are <laughs> and he told David he said if you fight this giant and if you defeat this giant if it, it's probably not going to happen but if it, it was to happen i want to tell you i'll give you my daughter michael to be your wife. Now we know who Michael is and we know David loved her and he was promised a promise by Saul that if he defeated Goliath that he would be given Michael for his wife. What was the outcome of the Goliath situation? David whacked his head off. David told him, he said to David, he he said, I'm gonna smear you in the ground, a run of a kid of a boy like you. Said, I fowls of the air will be plucking meat off of your bones. And David said, The same God. Woo! The same God that delivered me out of the mouth of the lion. That same God that delivered me out of the paw of the bear, that same God will deliver you into my hand, and with your own sword, I will cut your head off. Woo! You ever had a stronghold that you had to preach to it a little bit? I said, have you ever had a stronghold that you had to preach to it a little bit? And the Bible said David got out his sling and he put a stone in his sling and the Holy Ghost got in his arm and then the Holy Ghost got in his sling and then the Holy Ghost got in the rock and like a guided missile took it straight to the forehead of Goliath and he fell dead. You know what a lot of people say can't be done? God specializes in things thought impossible. God does impossible things. God does miraculous things. And the giant was slain, but Saul never kept his promise. David went for years. How many of you believe all things work together for good? I told you about Mephibosheth. Let me tell you about Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth was very jealous of one of his generals named Abner. And Saul had a concubine, a woman that he used for sex only. A concubine. She wasn't alone, he had 300 of them. I don't know why she stood out, but she was very special to Saul. And the Bible said that. Ishbosheth took his father's concubine, Rizpah. Well, Rispa had been kind of dating Abner, who was one of the generals. And rumor got out. Do you know God can take something meant for evil and turn it into good? I said, did you know God can take something meant for evil and turn it to good? Did you know God can take something that the devil means for destructive? and hurt, and pain, and God can turn it around and make it for healing, and blessing, and help. Ishbosheth was so mad because of the rumor about Abner visiting over with Saul's concubine that he and Abner kind of had a falling out, and Abner came over to David's side, a Hebrew. And he said, as the Lord lives, I will help you, and I will make you to become the one who sits on the throne of Israel. And he said, and let me tell you something else. He said, while, while we're at it, he said, I also will help you recover what was promised to you. For Michael, Michael that was promised to you will be given to you. Can you believe that? That after all of those years, after fighting the battle, waiting for the promise to be fulfilled, and all the circumstances of Rizpah and Ishbosheth and Abner, God brings all of that meandering around to bring the one he loves home to him, and he received his promise. So I guess what I'd say to you this morning in closing is don't give up on your promise. Don't give up on your destiny. Don't give up on your purpose, and don't give up on the plan of God for your life. Hmm. Stand with me, please. How many of you would say in this house, I feel like God's got a purpose for my life? Lord, look at those hands. I believe God has a purpose for my life. I hath not seen, ear hath not heard what God has in store for them that love him. God sent me by here this morning to tell you, don't give up on your promise. Don't give up on your destiny. Don't give up on your purpose. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. I said he will do it. I said, he will do it. It might take 14 years. It might take 17 years. It may take, but God will wait until you're ready. He won't let you jump into something till you get ready. He won't let you get entangled in something that you shouldn't be entangled in because you weren't ready. He will wait till you get ready. And that day that you answer that call that Samuel when Samuel was just a little boy. And the Lord spoke to him and he said, Samuel, he jumped out of bed and he ran into Eli's bedroom. And he said, did you call me? He said, no, I didn't call you, son. Go back to bed. He went and laid down again and the Lord said, Samuel. Samuel jumped out of bed. He ran to the bedside of Eli. And he said, did you call me? He said, no, I didn't call you, son. Go back again. And the third time he laid down and the Lord said, Samuel. And he ran to Eli and he said, Eli, Eli, did you call me? I'm sure I heard you call me. He said, no, it wasn't me that called you, son. But the next time you hear that voice, say, say on, Lord, I am here. I am here. Are you willing to say that to God this morning? Say on, Lord. I'm listening. Say on, Lord. I'm right here. Say on, Lord. Thy servant is listening. I'll go where you want me. To go, dear Lord, I'll go wh- where you want me to go. I'll be what you want me to be, dear Lord. I'll say what you want me to say. Are you willing to say that to God this morning? Lord, I'll be what you want me to be. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll be what you want me to be. Lord, I pray for everyone in this audience this morning. And, oh, Lord, there's been a a listening to the Word of God this morning. We've heard your Word. Your Word tells us that there is a purpose and a plan for all of our lives. And, God, I just ask you to help every person in this house this morning to realize their full potential in their relationship with you, that they will truly be all that they can be for God. You've laid it upon hearts this morning, things that you want these people to do. This church can't operate without people. God, there are things that need to be done in this church that requires your call upon people's life. And I've prayed about this service, and I've asked you, God, to stir within the heart of people their role in the kingdom of God, what they can do. They may not figure it to be very much, Lord, but I pray that they will understand that God needs them in the fight and God needs them in the army and God needs them in the battle. Oh, Lord, enlist people this morning and may we leave this altar and leave this house of worship challenged to be what God wants us to be. Move upon us by your Holy Spirit and empower us by your power, And help us to walk in a way that would please you. And touch us, Lord, as we go out these doors to be light and salt in the earth. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.